Welcome to the Warrior Mindset Podcast. We are your guide as you make your way through life, getting better 1% every day. We believe that life is lived and true victory won through adversity. Nothing easy is ever worth it. We believe in the warrior ethos and support those that choose to walk that path. another episode of the Warrior Mindset Podcast. I'm your host, Gene Crawford. Before we get going, hey, before we get going, please check out our sponsors, Tacticalories and Strikeforce Energy. You can use the code WARRIORMINDSET when you check out. I would appreciate it. I have a special guest today. He's an old friend of mine, and by old, I mean he's older than I am. I'm so excited. Who is it? <laughs> it is uh, Carl Smith. We'll link all his stuff up in the post. I know him. How you doing? I'm good, Mean Gene. How are you, brother? I'm doing, doing great, man. Doing great. So Carl and I had a podcast. How long ago was that now? Two years? No, man. Three years? It was a while ago. People were cranky <laughs> when we ago. stopped doing it. At where we called it BizCraft, and we did that for almost two years? I was drunk. I don't know. Yeah, nice. Um, and... I will link that up. There's some really great episodes out there that I think can relate to. There are, man. Like people still talk to me about Bizcraft all the time. Really? No, I totally can't back that up. <laughs> but uh, but I had a good time, and we had a lot of people who That's listened, awesome. so it was fun. There was some good advice not to take in there, and there was also some advice that was worthwhile. I'll, I'll second that. So, Carl, I, I've got you on the show today because. Uh, this website and this podcast is called The Warrior Mindset. And I, am, I am flexing over here like you I hope know. So. I hope so. Uh. Um, <laughs> and part of, part of being a warrior is never giving up, right? How long, <laughs> how long have you been in this industry in one shape or another? Oh, my God, dude. <laughs> Did I just trip you up? <laughs> 32 years. Mm-hmm. Holy crap, holy. Yeah, that just give you a seizure. Well, you know, part of being a warrior is never giving up until something kills you. <laughs> <laughs> that was part of being a sucker. But people forget about the saying "what what won't kill is you makes you stronger," but they forget about the fact that it could kill you. <laughs> it could kill you, in which case you're not going to be any stronger. Yeah, That's a good point. I'm not trying. To, I'm not. I am not trying to crush the soul of this <laughs> podcast. That's why I have you here. We're going to see if you can crush it. Oh, man. We're going to see how, we're going to see how strong we are. We're going to, <laughs> so I want to basically just and, – and we've done this a lot on the BizCraft podcast you know, mm-hmm. years ago. But for the sake of um, our listeners here, what the hell did you do? What, what did you start out doing that turned into owning and running your own business for over 20 years? I believe, right? 15 or 20 years. Talking well, about- it, yeah. So, you know, I, I started out bullshitting my way into an advertising agency. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and I, I've told that story quite a bit. Um, yep. But basically just I interned there. They had a layoff. Uh, when I went to get a job that had been promised, they, they had let half the company go, so they couldn't. So I sat down to start working on my resume at a desk and somebody came by and asked me um, if I had time to look at something for them. And I said, sure. And then I went back in the next day 
and the next day and I never got hired. <laughs> and it was maybe three or four weeks later when somebody came in and said, Hey, we need to, you to come in and work on the weekend. I was like, I don't work here. <laughs> I was like, like what? episode of Seinfeld I was, where I was, like, was pretending to work. I could be home with my parents every day or here with you losers. And so I'm here. And then I got offered a job that day making $16,700 a year. I'll never forget that amount. And, um, I started, I started working there and that turned into a 14 year career. Uh, and the internet happened during that time Mm -hmm. and I fell in love with that. And, uh, we started building websites really simply because we didn't know any other way. Mm -hmm. And it turned out that was the way they should be built. Um, started my own shop engine works, uh, that ran for 14 years. And during that time, I ended up uh, part of this amazing community called the Bureau that Greg Hoy and Greg Story started. Uh, they went off to pursue other amazing things. And I said, you know what? I'm going to pull Engine Works into here. And I'm just going to focus what, what I consider like this final third of my career on connecting people and finding ways for them to help each other. And uh, so that that's it now. It's um, It's managing connecting people what they need trying to make sure people are getting support in an industry that's really fucking crazy mm-hmm. it is a crazy industry um that's partly how i got to know you first just generally working in the industry um so here's the thing i get i actually get questions from people who have started a business real uh, people not or do you set up like dolls and say yeah imaginary oh. people Angie and Tommy, <laughs> tell me your questions. And then you're like, oh, well, this is what I have. So I know there's a lot of people listening, Gene, but I'm just curious. Like, are you making this, is this seating? Are you making this up or did people ask you, actually ask you this? I've had them ask. Um, I'm sure you have too. Uh, right. one, of the, one of the problems that I run into is uh, someone will start a business and they will work in that business for you know up to five years doing the same thing. And then they encounter failure right after like five we ha- years they didn't encounter like failure have- before maybe sooner wow so i'm sure that the thing you did on day one at engine was not the same thing you did on day uh 19,744 <laughs> i'm not gonna do the math but i'm gonna trust you that that was within 14 years <laughs> pretty close well um you know what i would say tom from des moines um <laughs> Yeah, that first day we just celebrated and we went to Home Depot and bought a plunger. I remember that clearly. <laughs> we thought oh, we don't we don't have a plunger. Why don't we take the whole company and go to Home Depot and record ourselves buying a plunger? So we did. And then I spent about four hours editing this video uh to the banana split song. Um oh my God. that was just kind of our, you know, welcome to the industry thing. And, uh, yeah, and then we played a lot of video games and we, we drank a tremendous amount. There's a theme forming here. Um, and then we ended up with clients and that changed everything. Uh, <laughs> not necessarily for the better, but on day, I'm just going to say 19,723. I'm not sure what day you said. Um, by that day we had like <laughs> defined roles and business processes. Right. And at that point we probably had 40 people and, trying to get everybody what they needed to create great things for clients and managing when those things didn't go great and traveling all over the place to meet with those clients. So yeah, that first day was just seriously, 
Home Depot for a plunger. And then, uh, and then by the end of it, it was like, protect the money. I think that's the shift that happens, right? You go from creating something to having something. And then I think the downfall comes when you start protecting something. Right. That's right. That, that I is, hope that answered your question, Tom. It, it did. I'm sure Tom is happy. Um, yeah. So what, what I find is that people begin to stop doing the things that they did to get them where they were. It's sort of like the, you know, a band's second album, right? The second album is not as good as the first album. Uh, I don't know. Okay. <laughs> oh, you can disagree. Well, it's a uh, Martin Atkins, who was a drummer with nine inch nails. He was in pig face. He's like crazy successful owns, uh, three record labels, I think. And he'll tell you that he owns the rights to like 50,000 songs and 49,828 of them are crap but the others make some money. Um, he tells people to record their first album as fast as they can because they don't know what they're doing. <laughs> and then record the second one. Because like, if you think about it, Guns N' Roses had an album that came yeah. out before Appetite. Oh, yeah. That's, yeah. I guess so. Yeah. Yeah. That's so that point. later came out as GNR Lies. But if, if you think about from that perspective, what, what he was saying was, you know, always show people two things. Because then you don't ask them, do you want to buy the album? You say, which album do you want, you want to buy? Um, anyway, I know that was a total, a total shift there. But, but yeah, so a lot of times the first album is, is totally the better. And then there's that sophomore effort where they've got all these influences and they're trying to do it right. Yeah. So to your point, yeah, you, you get into that protection mindset, yeah. Yeah, you've, you've, you forget the things that got you where you were, right? We see, I see that a lot. I mean... People just begin to, like you said, they begin to protect what they have and not take the risks they first took in the first place. Um, well, that's it. Yeah. Again. I mean, I, obviously, most of my queen knowledge comes from the movie Bohemian Rhapsody. But, you know, you look at when they went to that album and took a huge creative risk with the six yeah. minute song or whatever. Um, right. But they weren't protecting. They were still creating. Right. You know, and they continued to explode. Right. Yeah, but then, you know, or you look at the Stones when they go from, like, even the 70s, Goathead Soup, and some of these just crazy awesome albums, to when they start doing Steel Wheels. You know, it's like, now they're just out there milking us for money. Um, but, and, and whatever, it's catchy, and it's got the stuff, but they didn't necessarily even go into a protection mindset, but just a maintenance mindset. A lot of bands do that. Yeah. So, what is the difference between let's say your business with, I don't know, when you first started out, how many people went to Home Depot with you? Uh, there were four of us total. Four of you to 40 people. What is the difference in scale of leadership that you had to provide those people? Well, in, in one case, with, uh, when it, there were four of us, it's kind of you're trying to take charge of different aspects, but you trust other people to take charge of their aspect. Like I owned the business side of the company, but one of my partners owned the creative side, another partner owned the quality side. And then one partner actually owned the financial side. We didn't know it, but he was the one that was going to push back and say, should we spend money on that? Ooh, okay. <laughs> like, it's a goddamn margarita machine. Why wouldn't we spend money on that? <laughs> Jesus. Um, but he, he was right occasionally. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but then once you get to 40 people, you can either take, charge or take cover you know it's like True. you have to first of all 
get to a point where you find the people you trust the most that the company also trusts the most. Mm. And that was one day. I remember I was like, we, we were in, God, I think we were in four countries. We were in eight time zones, um, fully distributed. And I didn't sleep much because I always felt like I had to support everyone. Like I, I was that leaders eat last mentality. And, but what happened was it was more leaders sleep last. And I, I started getting burned out and all of these types of things. And then one day I realized I need help. And I asked a survey across the whole company. If I'm not here, who would you go to for a client issue? If I'm not here, who would you go to for a estimating question? If I'm not here, who would you go to for a vacation question? And everybody answered and the groupings were kind of the same around different people. So then I was like, oh, they've already got uh, somebody. They've, they've already created a structure in their heads of who knows different things. So then I just went to those people and I said, hey, Mary, people really trust you when it comes to uh, a human interaction issue on the team. If they're struggling to work with somebody or something, they think you can help them. Would it be cool if we kind of formalize that a little bit um, just to take some of the pressure away? for me, uh, kind of being this focal point and total bottleneck. And, you know, most of the people said, yeah. And then I found out they were doing it a lot already. You know, a lot of times people couldn't get me and so they would go there. So we just formalized it. Man, that made a huge difference. So I'd say that's a, a big part of going from four to 40 is you're not going to know everybody. Um, you're going to struggle to support everybody unless you just realize that it's not what it was. The culture has changed. It can still be super positive uh, that what you create has changed, that all of the processes have changed and you have to be okay with that. I'll, I'll say the biggest thing for me was anytime an opportunity showed up for engine, I would ask myself, is this a company I want to work at because I own it. And <laughs> if I don't, then that's going to be a problem. So make sure you also, as much as you're listening to people, I, I had a great conversation with somebody at some point and I said, that's an amazing opportunity. And if your heart's really in it, you need to start that company. Mm. You know, I would hate for you not to be here, but I'll support you as you go off and do that. And you know what? They did. And they, they created a thriving business because that's where their heart was. What, what compelled you to begin to look at all those people and try to, uh, I, don't, I don't know, systematize or, or structure build structure around your company. What, what made you do that? Uh, things were falling apart. Okay. Uh, you know, I, I had a flattish mentality. I always, I didn't even know what flat was when we started working. I just wanted everybody to have a voice and feel heard. Uh, it was very much the, uh, Dan Pink, um, autonomy, mastery, purpose kind of conversation. And that I really believed in that even before I read that book, uh, it, it like formalized it for me. So, I wanted everybody to have a saying where they were going. And I would tell people when they came on uh, that I didn't expect them to be there forever, that my job was to make sure when they left, it was for a really good reason. And that we were going to align our kind of goals and our, our life direction. And there would come a point where they would cross and we'd go in different directions. But it, as long as we can work together while things are coming together and, and heading in the same direction that we both want for ourselves, you know, that, that is magic. And for that to happen, you also need to make sure that there, there's enough structure that people aren't getting out of alignment with, with kind of where you said you were going and they were going. That's really hard to do. 
it's so hard to do. But you know what? If you can, there were times where we were we were just hitting it. We were in that zone. We created some magical stuff. I, I don't I don't regret a day uh, of what we did. I regret a day sometimes of what I did. But collectively, the team they were they were badass. So that's something that, first off, Carl, like I, I, from day one, I, I respected you because I could feel uh, this. I don't know. It's not an ability, but it's just the way you are. You you want to take care of people, right? I get that from you. And you always lead with empathy. You always lead by thinking about what the other person feels. What Thank what you. what is what has built you that way? Like most businesses aren't run that way, and most business leaders or business <laughs> owners don't do shit like that. That explains they don't so care. much. <laughs> this is a business. Damn it! I totally. Yeah, missed you, that. I missed that meeting. Um, I don't know. I mean, I, I guess. First of all, thank you. That's a an amazing compliment, um, and I, I really appreciate it. It's the way you're brought up. Um, yeah. It doesn't mean you can't learn it. I mean, I, I've told you this before. Like when I first started my career and in my mid twenties, um, I was an asshole. I mean i I looked at who I saw as being beneficial to what I was doing and put all my energy into them. And if somebody wasn't directly applicable to me succeeding, I, I didn't treat them bad. I just kind of ignored them. Um, but then I realized later that I didn't like myself, right? I, I was getting to this point. So I think part of it, it doesn't have to be how you're brought up, but I was brought up that way. Um, I, I was I was taught, I taught my kids that you know, how you're feeling is super important. But the one thing, the only thing that would ever really upset me is if I saw my kids disrespect somebody. Mm -hmm. And I would tell them, I was like, you know, that's from the time they were little, it's like your responsibility is to express yourself in a way that doesn't demean others. Mm -hmm. And then they would look at me at two and go, demean? But, you know, and I was impressed. <laughs> they could actually pronounce it. That was great. Uh, but I, I think that's part of it, too. Um, and then also, I am the master of realizing when I've stepped in shit and, you know, that the best way to get that off your shoe is with the apology stick. Okay. <laughs> Wait, that was what? horrible. <laughs> that was okay. horrible. I get it. But, you know, that's, that's the other side. You're going to make a lot of mistakes, but... um you can always apologize. You just have to make sure you know why you're apologizing. Mm-hmm. Where, where did your humility come from? Like, did it come from years of getting your ass whooped or did it just like, are you using it as a tool? Oh, I don't think I use anything as a tool, uh, especially not actual tools. My house is falling apart. <laughs> um, yeah, so that's a great question. I, I, th- I think it really became when I realized I was in over my head. Um, you know, people talk about imposter syndrome all the time. And I think for a lot of us, it's the human condition. Um, if somebody acts like they know what they're doing, we think they're jerks. And if, if they express now, we're finally in a time where, you know, being vulnerable is seen as a, a really beneficial thing. Um, but I would say humility for me comes from just 
failures and realizing that I can only carry things so far that I really have to have great people around me. And as much as I was able those first 35 years, right, or even, you know, the first 15 years of my career to just force of nature stuff, you know, just like work so hard and refuse to take no for an answer and do all those things. I I left a a trail behind me of, uh, you know, people who I just, I didn't help them. I hurt them. And so I think that's a big part of it too. I, I was telling somebody the other day, it's uh, the most important thing you can learn from your biggest mistakes. Like when you hurt somebody that you love or when you've just done something that, that had an impact you never expected is not to become okay with that. Like, don't, don't look behind you all the time and don't beat yourself up, but keep it close enough that it reminds you, right? Because you can do, some things with the best of intentions that end up hurting someone. And if you don't pay attention to the potential outcomes, but you just charge ahead with the intentions, uh, that can be a disaster. I feel like something I learned from you and how long have we known each other, man? Let's, let's at least 10 years. Yeah. I would say, uh, maybe even, yeah, like around there, maybe even a little bit longer. Yeah. It's, so one of the things I've I learned from you early on uh, that I sort of uh, emulate, I guess, learn is not a right. I, I, I watched you. You seem to always be learning and truly learning from the things you do. I don't want to just say wrong. But every time I talk to you, you're always telling me the story about like this thing you did and then how you're going to fix this thing or how you're going to make this change or, or you're looking at like, you know, this isn't working. I'm always going to be, you know, I'm going to do these different things. The, the, Clear, clearly, yeah. anybody who's running a business who wants to be a good leader is going to do that stuff. But, um, I mean, what where does that come from? Is that part of just how you're built, you think? I think it just comes from not wanting to screw up the same way twice. Uh, you know, I mean, that, that's, what's funny is you said you're always learning from things you do wrong. I was about to say school is always in session. <laughs> it's like right. I am never right. going to graduate from this. Um, no, it's uh, – it's just not wanting to make that same mistake twice. I make glorious mistakes. You know, it's uh, I, I have ambition and I tell myself a story in my head and, and what I want to be able to say on the other side. I tell people that all the time. It's like, if you have two decisions or if you have, if you have two options, you're trying to make a decision. Ask yourself, what's the story I can tell with decision one? Oh, well, we kind of took a project we didn't really want, but we made a shit ton of money. And then, you know, we were able to, to spend it on stuff. Decision two, we turned down that project because it didn't feel good. And we ended up doing these other things. We didn't make as much money, but you know what? It carried us further as a team and we felt great. You know, obviously you take the money. I mean, that's what you do. But no, I didn't do that, Gene. I went the other way. No, I'm kidding. God damn it. Um, you do both. But, that, but that's the thing, right? Yeah. And sometimes there's a balance. Uh, and sometimes different people are in different places in their life. But I think that um, really to get back to what you were asking, I, I really hope it's human nature. I mean, you, you have an option when something goes wrong. You can either you know, look at it, take a couple of deep breaths and say, okay, what did I do to take the team here? What did I do to lead myself here? And 
you know, make different decisions the next time. Or you can blame someone else, right? You can say, well, that person or this situation. Um, and it, in that case, it's going to happen again. Um, or right. you can just be ignorant to the whole thing and then everything you've worked for is going to fall apart. So really, I think there's only one option and that's that's to learn from it and, you know, try to keep in your brain little triggers when you're starting to have those same behaviors. I like that. Um, we've actually talked about that before. That you, that's the practice you do. So you either win or you learn, right? Oh, I like that. That's good. Did you come up with that? I did not. <laughs> I wish ah, I did. Okay. Put it on a shirt. So let's, let's fast forward. I could talk to you all day about that kind of stuff. Let, let's fast forward a little bit. So you, you had run engine in N G E N engine, engine works. You know what? Yeah. I, I over beers. That name made so much sense. Hey, it, and it was Aaron Draplin who said when he was going to rebrand us. Carl, I'm going to take the job, but <laughs> no more of that Valley Girl bullshit, little N, big G, little E, little N. Engine has three E's in it. I think he was wrong. I think there are only two. <laughs> but he was, call your lawyers. We're going to change some stuff. So, <laughs> anyway. Uh, yeah, I'm going to talk to him soon, too, for the show. Uh, your, uh, your recent – I'll link it up. It's your recent podcast with him was uh, – man. <laughs> Make sure got, you have a got, lot of – you have to have a lot of disk space, you know, because it's going to yeah, be a long one. Yeah, but you can learn a lot from that guy. He's so smart. Um, I love that guy. So you you effectively shut that business down or transition that business into your new venture, which is the Bureau, which is um, kind of where we – oddly enough, we both worked in the web design, web app development industry forever. We first met each other through uh, the conference circuit. I think. Um, yeah, you invited me it, to come speak at Converge, yeah. man. You you actually opened a whole new world to me. Um, so now you've gone from speaking at conferences to uh, producing a lot of conferences. <laughs> yeah. So what what is that like leading um, – the difference between – leading the efforts to build websites <laughs> versus leading the efforts. Uh, I would say a major production because I went to, uh, your owner, owner summit. Which one is it? Yeah. You went to owner summit in uh, yeah. Charleston. I got it right. Yeah. Owner summit. Well. And well. That is a major production. Yeah. What's the difference there? Um, you know, if you're building things, you have an opportunity to adjust and, you have an opportunity to you know, ask for more time, right? Most, hard, most deadlines aren't, aren't hard deadlines, and you have this opportunity to work later, do different things. Um, when you're putting on an event and you have a reputation, and, and part of our reputation was borrowed from what had gone on before at the Bureau, uh, you have an expectation, you have things you're asking from people, and there's a hard deadline. Um, mm -hmm. There's also a lot, a lot more risk. You know, when, when you're working with somebody to build something and they're paying you, it's pretty well understood that you're putting time into something. You're getting compensated for that time. When you are putting on a major event um, like the DPM or owner summit, uh, you build it and hope they will come. Right. Yeah. And so that's, that's another thing. Uh, and, and honestly, 
I don't see the Bureau as the events. I think that's part of where we get together to celebrate what we do and to learn together. But I really see it as this community of over 8,000 digital leaders who need each other in different aspects and different groups uh, because what we do is really, really hard and it can be really lonely. So having this opportunity to get together in person as well as every day online is really, I'm a community manager, you know, and event production is definitely part of it. I've got an amazing team with Lori and Brett and Jen um, and now Judith. And, uh, and so they are, you know, always thinking about what can make something better. You, you look at what we're doing at Owner Summit in New Orleans next week, and you're going to be there. Um, you know, we're, we're doing a city tour. We're doing a riverboat social. Uh, we're going to be in this old theater. You know, those are special opportunities that people won't always get. So our job is to create spaces where people can connect and help each other, sometimes online, sometimes in real life. And that is ongoing but also with hard deadlines, uh, it never ends, and uh, and that's great. But when you're building something for somebody, it can you know be over and done. I think you're perfectly suited for that. Um, there is clearly an aspect of being lonely <laughs> to running a business, being a leader of any kind. Um, do you hear those stories from your attendees, like to the oh, yeah. like the owner summit? I mean, I know I went uh, to the one in Charleston, and if you're you're listening to this, you have the opportunity to go to a uh, conference or a gathering of any kind of people in the industry that you work in, yeah. and it are in any type of leadership position. You really should spend the money and go. You will feel very good about the things you're doing because, believe it or not probably everyone in your industry is having the same problems. <laughs> Wouldn't you agree? That is so true. And, you know, it's, it's like if you don't get help at the Bureau, get help somewhere uh, <laughs> because it is super lonely. And I hear those stories from people in large organizations. I hear those stories from three-person teams that are spinning up their own stuff. I, I mean, especially, though, if, if you are – if you take on the responsibility – of helping others in your organization. Like when I had 40 people, I had 40 mortgages was the way it felt. I had 40 kids going to school. I had 40, uh, I'm getting married or, you know, you had, we're adding somebody to our family or, you know, and, and suddenly you take on that responsibility for all those people and there's nobody you can turn to and say, I'm going through this. But once you find your community, once you find other people who don't look at you like a dog that heard a weird noise, but they look at you like some like, and they're nodding. Oh God. Yeah. I know what that is. We gave a bonus and the person said it wasn't enough and they don't realize I skipped a paycheck. You know, they can't say that to anybody else. Right. Um, or if they say, yeah, I stayed up all night fixing the work that was done so that when I presented it to the C level, uh, they would be able to understand it. And then when I tried to explain that to the individual, they told me that that feedback wasn't uh, appreciated and they reported me to HR. These are real things yeah, from people are. trying to lead in digital. And if you don't have someone you can say that to who is not part of your team and who is not part of your personal life, if you don't have a person who is not going to judge you and will tell you honestly what they think, but you don't have to go home to them later for dinner, because it will seep into every aspect of your life if you don't have someone to share this with. Wow. I just put the world on warning. I apologize. <laughs> 
No, that's what it's that's what it's like. I mean, that's why you're here because you're you're not necessarily leading a team of forty people. Now you're you're helping to sort of uh, shoe this whole industry into some direction. Wow, thanks, Gene. No pressure. First pressure. of all, I got to find a big ass pair of shoes. <laughs> so, uh, like you, you speak about, you know, you're you're putting these events together. It's not really not really about the events. It's about the community and creating those spaces. Um, what's some, I'm sure you have a vision for like, um, one, why you're doing that, why you look at it that way, but two, like, where do you see that going in terms of those spaces? You know, that's a great question. And I do, you know, coming out of the end of the year, you know, every time we have to get a new calendar, we suddenly think our, Hey, new chance to start over. Not true. Um, but we do have those couple of weeks or whatever where we think about stuff. And, um, you know, I, I, to back up for just a second, I look at my career now. I think about the first 14 years, uh, that, which was I consider kind of the first third of my career. And all I did, I learned a tremendous amount about myself, about working with people, about the creative process. Uh, my boss there, Melanie, um, unbelievably patient with this young renegade who just thought he knew it all. Um, and I was there too. Uh, but, <laughs> but no, but she, she was amazing. And then I took everything that, that she taught me and I put it in to engine. And for 14 years, uh, that was, we created amazing things and we had global clients and we really did start from scratch. I signed uh, a non-discover, uh, non-compete that I wasn't asked to do. Because I wanted to make it on our own. That was the dumbest damn thing I could have ever done. Some of those clients were amazing, but I was so full of myself. Um, and then now I'm in this final third. And so it was, it was learning in that first third. It was doing in that second third. And now it's, it's sharing and connecting. And if, if it doesn't sound, you know, too cocky, teaching. Like sharing all the things that I've learned and helping other people. And so when I look at where this goes with the Bureau... I think it outlives me. I think it outlives the team. I think it outlives the the concept of an event um, or a Slack channel. There are friendships here, right? There are people who met at the Bureau. We have Bureau babies. When two companies merge, I call it a Bureau baby. <laughs> Excuse me, I'm getting all choked up. Uh, but so I think the relationships are going to go far past when I've decided that, you know, it's it's time to finally live under the bridge. Um, yeah. So, so for me, the future of the Bureau is every single relationship that's been forged and carries forward for people to help them in every aspect of their lives. That's a great mission. I tried to drop my mic, but it's connected to this arm and it totally (laughs) didn't work. It was very embarrassing. That's a great mission, Carl. Um, I don't think there's anything more noble that somebody can do than decide to teach others and help others. Um, we have a we have a saying here at Warrior Mindset that we got from uh, Mark Devine, and it's "Master yourself, serve others." Nice. And uh, I wish that was mine, but it's his. But we do try to live it, and I think I've known you for you know going on ten years, and you've embodied that. And uh, I just want to say bravo. Thank you, Gene. I appreciate it, and. In terms of Mark Devine, that guy's amazing. And when you had him at Converge, I, there were things I took away uh, that that changed the way that I I look at my life. So 
Well, you've done the same for me. And uh, I appreciate you being on the show today. Thanks, brother. I appreciate it. It's nice to see you getting back out there and, uh, and sharing all the good that you do with everybody. Trying, man. Trying. Maybe we can get you back. Yeah, I'd be happy to be the co-host, Gene. Thank you. <laughs> awesome. Invite accepted. <laughs> all right, man. Thank you. Thank you.